The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey everyone, welcome back to Friend of a Friend. It's your host, Olivia Perez. I'm a journalist, interviewer, and the creator of this show, where we get to sit down every week with some of my friends, your friends, and meet a lot of new friends to host inspiring but very down-to-earth conversations with some of my favorite luminaries who are making good change. I don't know about you guys, but I am at that point in this year where I am like, don't tell me another TV show to binge. I have mastered the binge. Like, I've watched all the shows. I've completed all my friends' movie lists. Like, I have done the thing. Except last week, I was on Netflix and I found this show that I really, really loved and I binged it in a couple days. And now I'm going to tell you guys about it. The show is called The One. It's on Netflix right now. I'm pretty sure it's like number three in the US, number one in the UK, and it's charting globally. But it's essentially a show that follows a very powerful tech CEO named Rebecca Webb, who has founded this company called Match DNA. The company has discovered how to find people their perfect biological match through a strand of hair. It's very sci-fi, very Black Mirror-y, and just like very creepy all around. But it's super juicy. There's tech scandals. There's love versus soulmates. There's so much in there. And I know you guys are going to love it. And I'm so excited today because the star of the show, Hannah Ware, who plays Rebecca, is joining us. She is zooming in from L.A. to talk about her role. We talked about landing the role, and we also talk about our thoughts on dating apps, soulmates, stereotypes, and she gives some of her best acting tips. This episode will have no spoilers, so if you haven't seen it yet, you can keep listening and get to know Hannah. She's awesome. I hope you guys love this episode. If you haven't subscribed to the show, you know the deal. Subscribe and leave us a review because those reviews are so helpful for me, and I love hearing your guys' feedback. Thank you guys for spending time with me today. I appreciate you guys. I hope you enjoy the show. Here's my friend, Hannah Ware. Hi. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me on your podcast. I was listening to your episode with your friends who ran a mezcal company. Oh, wow. What attracted you to that one? Oh, and my boyfriend runs a restaurant in LA. and. Um, we were tasting various mezcals and so it just happened to be kind of a a topical thing and yeah wow doing some research I love that must be really hard to launch a liquor brand during a pandemic I can imagine you know what though um during a recession and I know it's not exactly a recession the recession we thought it was going to be the two things that never lose value are lipstick and alcohol which makes sense because you can always justify buying a new lipstick and always we all need to drink at this point. So. <laughs> I love that. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. I'm a huge fan of the one. Oh, um, good. I, I binged it right when I heard about it. So I'm really excited to talk and congratulations on all of the success of the show. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Of course. I know you were living in the UK and then you were living in New York for a little bit and now you're in LA. How's LA been for you, especially during a pandemic? Well, I've been here actually for about seven years. It's just, it's strange when you're an actor because you take, you're away a lot working. So right, it never feels as long as it is. Um, I, I mean, I really missed New York when I first moved, but I now have really fallen in love with LA and I, I adore it. We can, we just have such a nice existence here and weather really does change a lot of like things. I mean, in in terms of one's outlook every day, uh, London is gray and cold and damp. And as much as I love it, I do find that kind of daily grind 
I don't miss it, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, it's a Tuesday and I just like sat in the park with my dog and had lunch by myself. So nice. So, like, I don't think you, especially in March, like there's not a lot of places you could really do that in. Not at all. What kind of dog do you have? We have a dog. Oh, I just got a puppy. He's an Australian shepherd. He's a mini. Um, And you'll probably hear him scuffling around. That's fine. My dog might be coming back from the dog park and I've told him to be very quiet. So he's uh, just he's getting used to my podcast hours where he's like, wait, we can't play. Who are you talking to? (laughs) And I think quarantine puppies are particularly strange. They're like the neediest dogs. Does your dog do this thing where you'll literally be two minutes like two meters away from them they just start whining because they're not all the time yes and like I don't know if Australian shepherds in like learning more about them I've learned that they do have a lot of um separation anxiety but with my dog particularly like he could just be staring at me and crying and I'm like okay do you need me to like just pat your head they they don't need anything they just want to be with you all the time all the time yeah all the time like it's insane what kind of a dog do you have I didn't even ask we have um, this really, it sounds so pretentious. Um, it's called a Cineco Dalletna and it's a Sicilian dog from Italy. My boyfriend's parents have one. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's from Italy. And, I've and never that's heard all of I have to dog. say about it. Okay, what do they look like? They're so beautiful. Um, I can imagine. They were, they're one of the oldest dogs. They were on like Venetian coins. They look vaguely like a pharaoh hound, but they're kind of more refined looking. Okay. They're, yeah, they're really pretty. Oh my God, I have to look it up. Yeah. So obviously I'm so excited to hear about the one today and kind of the the background of all of that. But I'd also really love to get to know you a little bit more and what drew you to acting. Um, I know you grew up in the UK and I'd love to hear a little bit about your upbringing and uh, your childhood and how that maybe brought you into the entertainment industry. Of course. I was painfully shy. I mm. wasn't the theater kid. I wasn't in any play. My sister's a singer and she had a, she has a wonderful voice and she was in every musical she was a star and I I kind of wanted to audition but I'd overthink it and wouldn't and I was very self-conscious so acting wasn't something that I came to until the grand old age of you're going to be horrified 28 is when I started so for anyone who wants I love to start that. acting at a later age it's not too late I'm 27 and I just got into acting classes. So that gives me, that makes me feel good. Don't even worry about it. And I thought (laughs) it was so old and I'd lost my mind. And now I realize, by the way, you're not old at all. Now, now I'm old. (laughs) But um, no, I, I came to it late, but I'm really grateful I did because I got to have so many life experiences that have informed my acting and Mm. I think helped me. So I did a degree in history of art actually and then I was on track to be an architect I, I was on in a second degree for architecture and I realized I'd be a terrible architect for many reasons and I dropped out and that was around 25 26 where lots of my friends were sort of clarifying what path they wanted to be on I felt like I was moving further away from what I wanted to do or what I thought I wanted to do and I went on a whim to an acting class in New York and I just kept going and I was so embarrassed that I sort of enjoyed something that felt so showy and so misaligned with everything that I'd sort of you know geared myself towards I just remember feeling it was one of these one of the few things at that point in my life that I kind of forgot I lost a sense of time Mm. and I'm a bit of a control freak so whenever I lose a sense of time I realized I'm enjoying myself and that was important to me and so I just kept going back and enrolled myself in a 
a number of classes and then a school and then met a manager who's still my manager in a bar in New York. That sounds really seedy. It wasn't. You meet most people in a bar in New York, by the way, guys. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) It sounds awful. Um, And he sent me on a couple of auditions. The first one he said, you did terribly, but I'll send you on one more. And it was this role that I I got. And it was playing Kelsey Grammer's daughter in this political drama called Boss. And Gus Van Sant was casting. And I only got the sides, but I really, I felt very simpatico with the character and it was lucky and Mm. a lot of it is down to luck. And I read well. And then I read again, and then I read again, and then I had a screen test and I got the role. But that's not how it normally works. But then it meant I was learning on the job and very publicly. Right. And I, I still can't watch certain things because I see how I failed. So, it, well, it's now immortalized on <laughs> things. Right? I feel like it's there forever. Yeah, it's but there that's forever. a really interesting way to think about it. I think I always re- like reflect on that saying, like, in order to get experience, you actually have to go do the thing. Like you're not going to learn it in With school. acting, yes, I think it. Yeah. Because you don't, you don't have the beauty of being in acting class and doing a relaxation technique for half an hour. And then, you know, everything's perfect and the temperature's perfect and no one's broken for lunch and someone's not shining a light in your eyes or putting a sound pack on you. Those right. are the conditions you're acting in if you're doing film or TV. We'll be right back after a quick break. If you've been a fan of this pod for a while, you know that I'm a huge fan of Sakara, and I hope you guys are now too. Not only is it a business started by two incredible women who I truly admire, but it's become my go-to nutrition company that focuses on my overall wellness, starting with what I eat. And now they're integrating their magic into one more crucial step in our daily wellness routine. Along with their delicious plant-rich meals that are delivered weekly to my door, Sakara is now offering daily wellness essentials like supplements and herbal teas to support our nutrition. Experience the transformative power of plants with their best-selling metabolism super powder. It's made with organic raw cacao. It works to boost energy, eliminate bloat, love, minimize sugar cravings, and reduce fatigue. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash friend or enter the code friend at checkout. That's Sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash friend to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash friend. I used to care so much about portraying a perfect life and acting like everything was okay when really things were far from it. I was secretly battling anxiety, depression, and an eating disorder. So it was a lot. I'm Victoria Garrick, former Division I athlete, mental health advocate, and host of RealPod. Every Wednesday, I sit down with celebrities, athletes, entrepreneurs, and more to talk about the inner thoughts and feelings that we're all struggling with. So leave the filters and facetunes at the door and join me on RealPod. I love hearing that you were shy. Like what a stark difference between being like very, very visible and having so many people see you now. I always like find that to be such an incredible journey. I always was very suspicious of people saying that. I was like, oh yeah, you're shy. You're so shy. You wanted to perform. Okay. But no, I, I am quite self. I mean, I, I, I am, I'm quite self-conscious and I think there's something weirdly perverse about me wanting to do the thing I'm really frightened Oh, I mean, you can chew on the ramifications of that, but... Oh, I think that's so cool, though. Really? Because some people, I feel like, can be debilitated by shyness and insecurity. 
Yeah, I mean, it still rears its head. I don't think it's any, ever something that goes away. Are, are you shy, naturally, would you say? I grew up dancing and I was kind of like what you were saying earlier about your sister. She was like always someone that was on stage. I, I, it's not something that like I run away from. It's not something I relish in. Like I'm not like grabbing the mic at, at karaoke night. Like I right. hate karaoke to be honest. Me, my idea of hell. Literally my idea of hell. Like when my friends are like, let's go to karaoke night. I'm like, oh, I'm sick. I'm it, sorry. It completely like, fills me with fear. Yeah. Yeah. That's not something I like doing, but um, I'm definitely not afraid of, of maybe of something a bit more performative. Like that doesn't make me very nervous, okay. if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. Karaoke feels undisciplined, I think. Yeah, and it feels like unintentional. Like exactly. it, there's no intent. Yeah, maybe there's something more exposing about that than, yeah. than you, you know, honing a craft and doing that and presenting yeah. it to people or something. Yeah, that's interesting. That's really interesting. So obviously you're on the one, which currently is number three in the United States and number one in the UK, which is absolutely insane. Yeah. How has the success been for you? How have you been enjoying it? I, sh- I probably shouldn't say this, but I've never been in like a hit. It's really, <laughs> it's just kind of, I'm always in the one that, and I've been in things that I'm so proud of that are critically acclaimed and I think they're great. And lots of other people think they're great, but there's something about, some things hit and they don't. And there's lots of things that are mm. hugely popular that you couldn't pay me to watch. And I, right. that sounds really mean-spirited. <laughs> I don't mean it like that. But I've, I've not put ever, when I choose to watch things, place too much stock in like what everyone... I mean, there's, there's obviously always a reason if people are talking about things enough, I will, I'll, I'll check it out. But um, right. I've never been in something that's just generally quite well-received, you know, amongst yeah. audiences. I'm not saying critically, but um, so it's quite nice, really. Yeah, I can imagine it's quite nice. The less hard part <laughs> for a second, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think about that so often when it comes to, and I would say Netflix shows specifically, these shows that, you know, pop up on there and within the week or even just like the day of launch, they absolutely explode. And what that must be like for the talent within the show that like has worked on something probably for a year or so to have this overnight success must be such a joy and so gratifying. It is. It's strange having it during a pandemic because I think my boyfriend and dog are sick of me. I'd like (laughs) looks, someone else thinks it's good too. And he's like, (laughs) you have to stop. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it'd be any different. We're all quite insular now, anyway. But um, right, yeah, it's 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 really nice. It's lovely. How did you get in touch um, with the show? How did you first hear about it? I got sent the audition, and I actually I was in Sea Ranch with a friend. Have you ever been there, in Northern California? No. What's that? Oh my god, it's so beautiful. It's this kind of. Um, it was started in the '60s as some sort of very architecturally relevant community um so I was with a friend and I got sent the script and it was just I read it in an afternoon and actually Rebecca was written in a very different way to how she's presented now she was she was still essentially the same person it's just she wasn't as front-footed and as it, it felt more that they had um she was depicted as being someone who was less comfortable with being in the limelight which is funny that we're we're talking about that and I think when we read it all together so I auditioned for it didn't hear for weeks almost forgot about it actually but I do remember wanting to do it so much because I found her such an interesting person I taped it three different ways just to play around with it I love that 
Yeah, sometimes you've got to do that. Even if it doesn't work, I think it's a good experiment, especially if you really want something, because then you really do know you've exhausted it for yourself. Right. Technically, I don't know anything about this, but I find this curious, maybe for people that are listening right now that want to be act, that want to mm. act. Is that something that like you then send all three of yeah, them? Yeah, it's self-tapes. I yeah. have, um, and I've never got a roll off a self-tape just for anyone who, <laughs> no, yeah. Um, they're a nightmare to shoot. I hate them. No, I, I've grown to love them because you've got to fall in love with things that are essentially part of your job. And now self-tapes have become so important in our industry. Right. Um, especially during a pandemic. No one's going into a room anyway, anywhere. But um, it actually is a gift because it allows you to do it as many times as you want. It's just a problem for a perfectionist, which I am, because... I anyone who's my reader wants to kill themselves because we'll be doing it a hundred million times and I'll say did you see that bit where I did it and they're like no it was exactly the same as <laughs> before and it's often what that's I, how you get it done yeah that's how you get it done it, it leaves you room to just play around with it and, that, right. and that's great rather than going into a room and having two goes at it and knowing you could have done it differently right and the pressure of that moment I can imagine is like debilitating Yes, yes. But weirdly, there is more of a pressure because you know that there, you could keep going and mm. that feels awful in a weird way. And you lose that sense of, you know, I imagine when you were a dancer on stage, that extra kind of energy in the room where, you know, you've got one shot and it's on, the camera's on. Right. Sometimes. Sometimes it works in your favor and sometimes it, you, you don't do it in the same way. Right. Yeah. So you got the script, you tried it out three different times, yeah. Anyway, I got the script. I, I tried it out a number of times. I sent it off, didn't hear for a few weeks and then just got, didn't even screen test for it and got off of the roll. So that was, wow. yeah, it was amazing. You mentioned earlier that Rebecca Webb, your character was different than mm-hmm. what she ended up being. How much of a role did you have to play in that? That's really interesting to hear. I really liked how she was originally written. We shouldn't say that. <laughs> she was just it just felt I won't say more complex although I might it just felt she was less comfortable with being in the, in the limelight but I understand why they changed her and made her more sort of she'd embraced the role of CEO more because I mm. think that it tells dramatically speaking it's more interesting for the audience right um, and obviously you watch her go around ruining people's lives <laughs> And, and being quite front-footed and being very much in charge, I think it makes it especially interesting when you see her in flashbacks and, and how uh, just a mere two years has, can really change a person. And Definitely. that's the story we end up telling. And that's the story that we changed and I embraced it and we got on with it. And that was great. There definitely was a distinctive character to Rebecca. And for those of you who don't know who are listening, Hannah plays Rebecca Webb, who is an ambitious CEO and a co-founder of a company called Match DNA. I hope you guys are watching the show. And if you haven't, definitely go check it out. But you play a very, very specific female CEO that I feel mm-hmm. like we see a lot of today. And I'd love to hear a little bit about how you prepared for the role, because even the opening scene of the show, you're giving a talk that kind of feels like a TED talk. And Thank God um, it feels like a TED talk. That was what it was meant to feel Thank you. Yes. And I know that there was actually a lot of that of planning and, and mm-hmm. um, educating that went into that. So I'd love to hear yeah. a little bit how you prepared to play her. Well, I, I, I felt, you know, the, that was when you first are introduced to Rebecca. And yes, it was a it was a TED talk that they had based that on. I watched a lot of public female public speakers. Mm. I also because of what we were talking about, I'm not 
I had to be on a stage in front of an audience, which this sounds insane because I'm an actor, but that was quite terrifying to me. Mm. I had to find within myself some way I was going to really enjoy giving that talk. So what I did after I'd watched people speak effectively on public platforms like TED, I then had to give myself some sort of magic that would like install me with the extra, like I'm really getting off on this. Right. Because I think there is an element of Rebecca once she becomes the CEO, that she, there's, there's a power that she starts finding really enjoyable. And whether it's like fucking people over in her office or being on stage and drinking her own Kool-Aid. Right. And the way I did that was very simple because when in doubt, for me, I have to use music. And I played a lot of Freddie Mercury, Don't Stop wow. Me Now, and a bit of Mick Jagger, Start Me Up. Like just stuff which makes you want to strut and get physically into the role of someone who is having fun being a performer, which is not something that I'm naturally inclined to do. Definitely. Wow, that's amazing. So I was very much listening to my headphones before I went on. I mean, even when I think of like Freddie Mercury performances, like you can see that if you've watched them, you like can feel that that person loves being on stage. He's ferocious. And it's like yeah. ferocious. And it's like a two-way street where he's exuding energy and he's getting it back from the audience. And there is an extreme pleasure in that. that those are really amazing references. That's yeah. cool. Is music a big part of your process? Yeah, I, I definitely use music a lot. I always have, a, I always make playlists for a character and whether I'm cool. using it in terms of acting, like I'm not using it. Sometimes it's more acutely kind of linked to a specific scene or sometimes it's just a general sort of feeling. I think music like taste or smell, especially smell can really bring me back to um, mm-hmm. certain experiences. I think that music will inform me in a kind of general sense of my character's world. And I, I, I enjoy it and I love music. So it's always a pleasure. We'll be right back after a quick break. Attention, all of my menstruating listeners. Are you so tired of period cramps and not having anything work to get rid of them? I've got just the thing. Meet Enough Period. It's a new CBD infused body care line targeted towards menstrual pain with a focus on high potency. Their first product is the Ritual Cycle Support Balm. Most well-known CBD brands offer 200 to 600 milligrams of CBD in a three to six ounce jar. But with the Ritual, there's 1,200 milligrams of CBD in a two ounce jar. This stuff is super potent and it works. Enough is proudly partnered with small family-run farms to provide the best quality, non-GMO, pesticide-free, organically grown U.S. hemp so they can offer high potency at an attainable price point with lab results to prove it. I literally put this everywhere. Lower back pain, sore muscles, wherever else you might need that extra support during that time of the month. And now you guys can get 20% off with your first purchase with the code FRIEND and develop a new relationship with your period. Head to Enough Period, that's E-N-U-F-P-E-R-I-O-D.com and use the code FRIEND at checkout. I want to go back a little bit to what we were talking about in terms of just the way that Rebecca changed throughout the show. It was so... There was such an intentional shift in the way that she looked between those flashbacks mm-hmm. and and then in current time. Yeah. And it really got me thinking about the way that we portray female CEOs today. Mm-hmm. It almost felt like Rebecca had like dimmed herself down a little bit to seem more like put together, more refined, but also like 
I don't know if you agree with this, but it she almost felt a little less feminine. Like it almost felt like she wanted to like fit into like a very tech work culture. I think you're completely right. I mean, I I personally love wearing a suit and not and it's never to not feel feminine. It's more um I like it. I used to always watch my dad put a suit on before he went to work and I never really differentiate. I was like, why can't my sister and I do that? And my sister likes to wear a suit when she sings. And I find it, yeah, I find it, it feels like an armor that um, sadly, it feels like it, it makes you less sexualized as a female in terms of Mm. like, it makes me feel more that I'm going to be treated as an equal and whether that's right or wrong I, I don't know it's maybe because we're not fully where we want to be in the work force. right it's funny because I agree with you that I think it does challenge a stereotypical view of women but I also feel my sexiest in a suit like I feel my best when I'm yeah. wearing a oh, perfectly totally. tailored I don't think suit it takes heels. it doesn't take away from your sense of feeling sexy it's just totally. more that it doesn't make you look feminine and soft in a way that I feel right if we still do that and it it shouldn't be this way that we're not going to be taken as seriously. Right. And so it's sad, but, um, but also it's great because I like, I I actually enjoy wearing a suit. Um, so yeah, she had some pretty good suits. She had great suits, really good suits. Yeah. Yeah. So the show is based off of a book. Um, for those of you who haven't watched it again, it is all about, um, Rebecca starting a company that essentially matches people with their DNA soulmates. So, piece of your hair goes in and it matches you with your like DNA tested person for life. And I'd love to hear a little bit about your thoughts on that because watching it, it doesn't really feel like it's something that like feels so far fetched for the society that we're in right now. Like we're especially like, I think young people are using all these apps and like, I feel like we're seeing a lot of like zoom Mm -hmm. dating, but I think with all the technology that we're experiencing right now, it doesn't feel like something that is like impossible. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on how realistic it seems for you. Well, there's actually a, um, a dating app in Japan, which is based on your DNA. So it's, oh my it's here. Yeah, it <laughs> happened. I don't know what the science is behind it. So I'm, I'm sure it's not the same. Yeah, it doesn't feel far off because I think everyone's meeting. I mean, as you see in, in, in the show, people are finding their match and they're matched to people in various countries. So their initial meetings are often Zoom and remote meetings. Right, or like a FaceTime sort of, or something. Yeah, you're not walking into a bar and getting a vibe off someone, you know, right. which is how I dated. Um, I never did any apps, but lots of my friends are on them and they, it, they've been very successful sometimes and, and not in others. But yeah, that kind of, I mean, we, we're already with the Raya's and the, um, is it Hinge or Tinder? They're okay. already sort of, from what I gather, they you have to put in a certain information about yourself and, and, and then you get matched with people who they this app thinks you might fit. So DNA is kind of another step towards that. So right. yeah, you're right. I don't think it does feel that far off. I'm not going to lie. While watching the show, I, I, you can't help but think about like yourself and what you would yeah. do in, in that situation. I think whether you were a single person, whether you're in a relationship, like you are sitting there watching it being like, would I, would I put myself in the position to find my match? And I'm wondering if you had the chance, would you? It's really hard to say because I, I so relate to Hannah's mm-hmm. conundrum. And Hannah is, um, for those of you who haven't watched it, she's a character who's so in love with her husband but she's obsessed with the idea that there's someone better for him. She never actually considered her, considers herself. 
Right. She feels she's so happy. And I feel like more of a Hannah in that way, actually. Right, right. So I don't know. It depends. It depends if you want to open that can of worms. And I guess mm-hmm. it depends where you are in your life. And Totally. It's absolutely Pandora's box. Yeah. I don't know if I want to go there. But I, I understand people who do. Do you believe in soulmates? Um, no, I don't. I believe that we have a number of soulmates. And mm-hmm. that there are different people who are um, important at different, in different periods of your life. I agree. So I don't believe... Yeah, I believe in it in a very generous way. Yeah. Right. Do you right. believe in soulmates? I agree with what you're saying. I don't think, I think that a soulmate is very different than a DNA match. Right. Me too. Yeah. I think a DNA match is like someone that is like on paper, like someone that will match your personality type and yeah. your body type, whatever it is. That I think your soulmates, like your soul is a very different thing. And I think that like those are two different like voids that are two different like components of who you are that have separate needs. Do you think that as a society, we're like obsessed with finding perfect matches? Yeah, I think we're obsessed with perfection. And I think that, I think that it's quite, I mean, I never did the online dating thing, but from what I hear with girlfriends, it it really is quite savage out there. It's It's savage. It's awful that (laughs) there's people talking to a hundred different people, keeping their options open. But it feels like from a place of not, it feels that you can be so removed, your heart's not quite in it. And it it makes you act in quite an inhumane way. I think people are also, there's a, a really interesting contrast in it that like you think people go on there to find a person they want to spend their life with. But at the same time, because there's so many, like, I don't want to use the word options. options. No, you're yeah, right. But like, because there's so much out there, it's like made us non-committal as a society. Like, we're always thinking about the next, like, what well, else I really want to commit to that, there might be something better. And it's, it's kind right. of gross. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. What's something that you hope listeners right now who might watch the one for the first time, what do you hope they take away from it? I think that, I, I don't know what I hope, I don't think there's some sort of moral fable to take away from it. I think that, I hope that they like just enjoy, enjoy the story and enjoy watching someone grapple with coming from a place of such ideological certainty that they will go to such extreme measures to try and prove it. And I think that it's interesting to watch anyone who's that determined that they will create such a shell around themselves and then have have things fall apart in a way that I think it's always really interesting to watch someone who seemingly has things under control lose control in some way because I think mm. as human beings we all struggle with that to greater and lesser degrees if that makes any sense so for listeners who want to catch the one where can they see it they can see it on Netflix and I think Yes, Netflix. Yeah, Netflix, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It will most likely be on your homepage when you open it up. Um, it's such an amazing show. A lot of people have been saying it gives like Black Mirror vibes almost. Yes, it is um, quite Black Mirror. Yeah, because it's like a, a, a different society. But it's such a joy. It's really, really fun to watch. Definitely a fun mind twist. Um, so I highly recommend it. Thank you so much. What's the biggest tip that you have for anybody listening right now that might want to get into entertainment and start acting? Um, don't be afraid. Try it. Be brave. Um, there is no time limit. I am testament of that. And I'm a woman. Um, yeah. And 10 years on, I've 
like I'm still going and it's good. And I do think that the industry is writing much more interesting roles for women who aren't just in their mid twenties and, and you know, other people are getting great, great stuff. I'm from quite an academic background. So I do really approach it in a way that's quite um, regimented and you have to keep going and it's like anything and you should treat it a bit like being an athlete. You have to practice every day. I mean, not every day because I don't, that's a complete lie. Um, but um, <laughs> I, I self-implement a curriculum for myself because I feel like I wasn't trained in an orthodox way. Wow. And you should keep and just be in the world and have life experiences and always think about it in terms of your acting and, and, and keep flexing the muscle. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Hannah, it was so nice to meet you today. So Thanks nice so much to for meet jumping you. on and chatting. No, I'm, thank you for having me. Of course, of course. Congratulations on all the success. I'm really, really thank excited you. for you. And, and well course. done on your podcast. And, thank and, you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Friend of a Friend. Before you go, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at tiermedia.com. And for more behind the scenes of the show, visit us at friendofafriend.us and follow me at Liv Perez on Instagram. Don't forget the two Vs. See you next week.